spotless are they white as snow. Are you washed in the blood of the I, I didn't know this. Uh, I, I learned this reading um, Mal here, and who's who's also drawing from the historian Eric Hobsbawm, um, who writes, you know, Mal writes, quote, compared to manufacturing, where technological development raced ahead, agriculture remains stagnant. Even in an advanced capitalist economy such as France at the end of World War II, Quote, nearly half the population still lived in localities of fewer than 2,000 inhabitants and consumed food from their farms or neighboring ones in ways reminiscent of the Middle Ages. Or as Eric Hobswam puts it, quote, for 80% of humanity, the Middle Ages ended suddenly in the 1950s, which, uh, which is wild to me. I mean, it's a great, it's a great quip, but I also just had no idea that like, up until the 1950s, immediately post-World War II, um, that like for most people, like daily life still looked and was organized in these ways that were much more closely related to the Middle Ages than they are to today, which is a really wild thing to think that it was like that recent that something like the real subsumption of agriculture by capital start was a process that really started in earnest about 70 years ago, um, largely kicked off, catalyzed by World War II and the way in which World War II just completely, I mean, like literally leveled every, like leveled Europe and completely reorganized the entire like social, industrial, and natural organization of Europe um, to like uh, allowing for capitalism um, to really go in, like hit into another gear and begin subsuming parts of the social and natural world that otherwise had been resistant to subsumption because. World War II was so effective at completely leveling and destroying everything that capital was like, ah, this is great. We have a a complete tabula rasa here um, to build a new world upon. And specifically, uh, American uh, imperial capital was like, oh, great. We have a complete tabula rasa here uh, in Europe to build a new world upon. Um, Totally wild to me. I I had no idea that it was that recent. Yeah, it's also crazy. I mean, and it's both, I think, the leveling of Europe, right? But also the reorganization of what was left towards different towards different production schemes right where you know because you level them and they still they might they might still subsist in these you know middle age patterns but the reorganization of these societies you know into these total war production uh standings and and statures i think also plays a key role in here right and prioritizing and marshalling all the productive forces, all the able-bodied people, bureaucratic enterprise, or I shouldn't say bureaucratic enterprises, but, you know, massive bureaucracies, all for the task of quantifying, maximizing output. I, it's, it is crazy, I mean, uh, to, to imagine that. I really like this section that he quotes here where he says, in 1910, farmers gathered their own seeds from last year's crop, raised the mules and horses that provided traction power, 
fed them on hay and grains produced on the farm, and fertilized the fields with the manure they produced. In 1986, farmers purchased their seed from Pioneer Hybrid Seed Company, buy their mules from the Ford Motor Company, the oats for their mules from Exxon, their manure from American Cynamid, fed their hogs on concentrated grain from Central Soya, and sow their next corn crop with the help of a revolving loan from Continental Illinois Bank and Trust Company, which is just as insane of a transformation, right? To not only to not only just change the you know the basic relationship, but also to so thoroughly penetrate it with capital um, is is absolutely wild. And as he points out, and as you know, the next few sections take us through, these come from three major processes. They're the tech changes that emerge in mechanization, fertilizing, and biotechnical manipulation of the plants and animals. So genetic engineering, you know, and and cultivation that changes photosynthesis, uh, metabolism, fertility, yield. Um, Second, an organizational restructuring related to new divisions of labor. And third, an increasing and ever tighter subjugation of agriculture to market forces. As a result of the so-called green revolution, the logistics revolution, and the structural adjustment programs of the 1980s, which are three very, these are all three, and especially those last one has three very large uh, structural changes that are packed into them, right? And the first one, I think, vaguely we are familiar with or have a vague understanding maybe by general osmosis of the culture, and then further, d- depending on your degree of familiarity with the subject that, you know, as, as he touches on, um, increases in, in productivity uh, result in large, uh, result in um, a transformation of population that helps heart Haston, the Industrial Revolution in England. But it's only really at the turn of the 20th century that uh, you start to see transformations that happen thanks to the German chemists Fritz Haber and Karl Bosch, who come up with artificially fixation, artificial fixation of nitrogen from atmospheric gases in the Haber-Bosch process. Um, and you know, as he, as he kind of lays out, nitrogen is a soil nutrient that's necessary for the plants to grow and for life in general. And Quote, the inability to come up with uh, effective methods for fixating it in a form which plants can absorb was a crucial barrier for attempts to increase land productivity in the 19th and early 20th centuries. And so this process is transformational because now we have synthetic fertilizers, which then allow for you to massively expand productivity gains. And that this is a huge part of why um, in, the, in the 1950s, 80% of the world suddenly steps out of the middle ages, right? In terms of food, Uh, because one, now you're able to massively increase how much you're producing, but you're also able to restore soil fertility in places that it has been devastated over the centuries and millennia. And so also at the same time, you're seeing the advancement of mechanization automation uh, productivity uh, technologies, right? 
So you're starting to see mechanized labor or augmentative mechanized labor with tractors, combine harvesters, with machines that don't require you to use mules or use this, you know, this traditional animal labor that either you would rear yourself or that you might not even have access to and then um, in your own place unless you, you know, reared or traded for. This section by geographer Brett Wallach um, writes in, 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 that James G. Boswell, the second, until what his death. Name, in- that, that's, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a fucking plantation owner's name. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, my God. You reminded me of the fucking question that Agnes Callard just asked today, where it was like, um, if you went back in time, would you rather be a slave owner or a slave? Um, and this is the guy, if this, anyone with this name, I know what they're picking. I know exactly what they're picking. If you went back in time, would you rather be James G. Boswell II or, or Django? Yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm choosing yeah. Django every single yeah. fucking time. Django wins. I'm, Django wins I'm working wins. Boswell the second and his whole clan. <laughs> speaking of picking, uh, uh, Boswell was one of the biggest cotton producers in America, and he once employed five thousand cotton pickers. And in his lifetime, they were replaced by a hundred machine operators who picked Boswell's one hundred fifty thousand California acres. Insane. 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 Washed in the blood of the Lamb.